welcome everybody to the latest edition of Media Sandwich with me, Kyle Martinak. I am here to skim some of the headlines with you in pop culture and see just what tidbits we want to keep on our plate. Uh, and we've got plenty of good stuff going on this week. Let's start with the video game news. Uh, hey, hey, video game news. Uh, Saints Row releases tomorrow, August 23rd. Which, uh, I have not heard about this game even existing up until this last week when they dropped a little trailer. And, uh, and here it is. Uh, <laughs> had no idea they were doing a big reboot of, uh, Saints Row. I do know that the third and fourth games in the series were big successes, so it has been quiet over in that neck of the woods for quite a while, but... Uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know a whole lot about the Saints Row series. It always struck me in its early days as one of those alternates to, uh, Grand Theft Auto. Like, no, we can't have Grand Theft Auto. We, we have Grand Theft Auto at home. And what's at home? It's Saints Row 1 or 2. Which I think those came out, like, right around the time Grand Theft Auto San Andreas was a big deal. So it had a similar flavor at the time. But then, I think kind of wisely, on a creative level, Saints Row the Third uh, dropped the uh, dr kind of dropped the comparison to Grand Theft Auto because Volition leaned way into the opposite direction. Like Rockstar at the time was like, "Hey, what if we made the most gritty, beige-colored, realistic simulation of criminal activity we can muster?" And we make it as serious as any Michael Mann movie, narratively, and and that's GTA 4, right? And Saints Row the Third came out a couple years after that, very much like, yeah, what if we instead soak it in neon purple, have a wacky uh, character creation generator with, like, big afros and rainbow underpants and roller skates and... Let's just, uh, you know, your weapons are going to be flamethrowing chainsaw dildos or something like that. Let's just make it the most outlandish thing that we possibly can. And it worked out for them. It kind of made the Saints Row franchise a franchise again when, you know, the first two were just kind of, you know, knockoffs. It was, it was a really smart decision. It was a different flavor. And I'm always the guy saying more flavors in pop culture. You know, let's not make everything homogenous and it was a different flavor of the same basic structure of game as a gta but a lot more like wacky and zany i played a little bit of the third one i found it fine it, it was fine i i didn't play the fourth but i heard good things about it uh really didn't like how suddenly the characters were front and center though because the characters are very outlandish like like those games are there's a guy named johnny gat Johnny Gat, like last name is a Gat, like a gun, and he had his own DLC title or something like that. It looked a little too nonsensical for me, but anyway, all that in mind, the new one is coming out tomorrow. I record this on Monday, and uh, and the reviews are already in. Turns out, ugh, it's kind of swinging back in the direction of being a GTA clone again. Uh, just skimming reviews, I noticed a lot of people pointing out how kind of bland and boring and basic it feels. The new one focuses a lot more on world building a lot because it's about forming the Saints criminal organization out of 
like the rejects from a bunch of other big criminal empires so that you can take each one of them down and take over their turf and stuff. And, you know, let me tell you something. When the original game is called Saints Row, uh, and it's trading on kind of the San Andreas concept of being a street gang, taking over turf, drive-bys, things of that sort, it's really weird that by this point, when we're rebooting it, instead of taking it back to those roots, you keep the outlandish... I think by, like, the fourth one, you're the president of the, of the world or some shit like that and there are aliens that you have to fight i don't know but this one it's like all right let's keep the outlandish uh stakes but we'll take away the more cartoony aspects of it so it's like you're building a criminal organization made up of blackwater defense contractor types drug cartel executives etc it feels really like nobody over there knows the difference between any of these criminal archetypes that they're working with, but oh, whatever. Uh, the reboot title is, uh, by the way, it it they pull off that uh, ridiculous thing that's been happening lately in movies and video games, where the reboot title is just the original game's title, so it's just Saints Row, like the Halloween movies or Tomb Raider. We talked about Tomb Raider recently. Uh, it's very funny in those Tomb Raider reboot games. There's two of them, and the second one is called The Rise of the Tomb Raider, I think. Confusing. But this is just Saints Row, which at this point I guess you can get away with. That first one was, what, PlayStation 2 era? But yeah, I'm sure you'll be hearing plenty about the online MMO subscription that you have to have, and how you can buy an exclusive monster truck or lunar excursion module if you sign up early, whatever. Uh, but another game that we got this week, we got news about this week, I am more interested in this one, Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed. Uh, we got a release date for it, and appropriately, the release date is October 18th. And that's coming out on Xbox One and Series SX. Uh, PlayStation 4 and 5, and the PC. Uh, Spirits Unleashed is that latest beloved old movie franchise that they're turning into one of those asymmetrical multiplayer games uh, by Ilphonic. They're the folks behind Friday the 13th, the game, which was a lot of fun, and Predator Hunting Grounds, which was a very fun diversion as well. Both of those, I really liked them, uh, the, the asymmetrical aspect of it worked really well for both of those. And I think a similar, uh, a similar uh, energy is going to be in this one. Uh, First-person shooter for the Ghostbuster players, while one person plays as a ghost from a third-person point of view. And while everyone's trying to capture the ghost, they try to cause chaos using a bunch of abilities like possessing things, leaving slime traps to mess them up and things like that sounds like a fun time it sounds a little bit more light-hearted maybe a little more uh a little more family friendly than say predator or friday the 13th that bodes well for me easy sell for my kids they like ghostbusters so it might be fun and hey and hey you betcha that dan Aykroyd and ernie hudson showed up and got paid for their likenesses and voice acting as their characters and you can also bet that everybody else in the entire Ghostbusters franchise was way too busy to do the same. 
let's just be happy with what we have there. But I think it's a great, it's a great game, sounds like. It sounds like a good way to get into the Halloween spirit with that October 18th release. I think that that's the perfect time to release something called Ghostbusters, uh, as opposed to, say, middle of November, which Afterlife came out in the middle of November after being pushed back a year or two. Um... I was okay with Afterlife. I thought it was just kind of, eh, it's fine. That was kind of it for video game news. Just a couple of release dates. Uh, let's shift over to movie news, because we, uh, we got some barn burners. Uh, let's start by acknowledging the fact that Ezra Miller was apparently caught in one of those Planet of the Apes-style nets and carted off to rehab. But something like that. Uh, I don't feel too bad making fun of Ezra Miller in this regard. Uh, I know that it's probably in poor taste to be like, this person's mental health is shaky. Ha ha. Uh, yeah, I feel bad uh, to make fun of somebody's mental health, but at the same time, this uh, statement that they released sure smacks of contractual obligation to me. Because uh, it consisted very much of, I'm sorry that my behavior was seen as objectionable by some people, not I'm sorry for the things I did or the people you know the people I hurt. It's I'm sorry that my behavior was construed as being wrong, and I'm sorry that I disrupted business from my business daddies, and I promise to do things people like from now on, like puppy interviews and TikToks and jelly beans and whatnot. I it really didn't seem sincere. It seemed like I have to say this or else they're gonna get really really uh, medieval on my contract. Um, anyways, The Flash is still coming. Uh, <laughs> he can't be stopped. No matter what Ezra Miller does, uh, The Flash cannot be stopped. Uh, he's coming for us in July of 2023 still. And that, that feels so long from now still. It's almost a whole year from now. And that movie has been on the slate since, I want to say they announced a Flash Standalone movie as far back as 2015 or something like that. We're coming close to a decade of Ezra Miller waiting, just waiting to be the actual lead of one of these movies. And maybe that's what scrambled their brain a little bit. But I don't know. That's certainly no excuse for some of the nasty stuff that we've been hearing about their behavior. Uh, but... I genuinely hope that Ezra Miller does get better, uh, because that means everyone is safer. And I'm <laughs> getting back to the movie aspect a bit. Apparently the Flash movie is still coming at us without any delays or anything like that. They are doing reshoots, because that's the name of the game these days. That's the way it's operated these days is you shoot the movie. While the movie is being edited, you start testing it already, like without the effects and everything. And then, you know, after spending $150 million, you go back and reshoot stuff for another $50 million or something like that. They just do that on all of these now. They don't bother to make sure that the movie's done right the first time, which you would think would be the more, like, it's it feels more cost-prohibitive to me to do reshoots on every single one of these movies, but when you're gambling with the fact that $200 million may or may not turn into a billion dollars, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not paid enough to know how any of that works. But, but, uh, the Flash movie is doing very well with uh, both executives at Warner Brothers Discovery 
and with test audiences. Uh, it's apparently the one DC project that old David Zaslav is actually a big fan of. And that actually tracks completely from what we know about the big cootie himself, because I'm reading spoilers, 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 spoilers for a movie that doesn't come out for another year, and a lot of this might not be true, we don't know. A lot of it might be cut out, it might be a different movie by the time we get it in a year. But, spoilers, 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 I'm reading that not just Michael Keaton's Batman is coming through some kind of a multiverse portal but possibly Linda Carter's Wonder Woman and Christopher Reeve's Superman and possibly Adam West Batman? So, you know, it's one of those patented Warner Brothers things these days. Uh, look at all of this stuff! Look at all of our stuff! It's all here in this one movie! Isn't it great for all of our stuff to be in this one movie? <clears throat> Space Jam. Anyways, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but also, that that really still tracks for me, because Zaslav appears to be a very much a back-in-my-day kind of old old guy, you know. He likes this movie because it's starting to showcase all of the old DC stuff that he probably finds far superior, like the Christopher Reeve Superman. There are people, there are people of a certain age who will tell you, hey, you will never make a better Superman than the one from the 70s. You'll never make a better Batman than Adam West. You'll never make a better Wonder Woman than Linda Carter. I'm not saying they're wrong necessarily, but it's it's not necessarily a question of, uh, of quality in superhero movies and television so much as it's a uh, back-in-my-day, things-were-better kind of crap. And that's kind of what I... Uh, that that's dripping off of old Zaslav because he doesn't watch movies these days, right? Like he doesn't care for modern stuff. And the flash is, like I said, the only DC movie that he is fervently defending. Apparently he's not liking the stuff that's coming out of Aquaman two. That's been a thorn in his paw since he took over, I suppose. Uh, and f funny enough, uh, the test audiences in Peoria or, you know, uh, Tucson or wherever seem to agree with him on both counts. Uh, the Flash had a recent test screening and allegedly got the highest score of any DC movie. Huh. And, uh, and that's how we're making these now. The test audiences kind of rule the roost as far as what happens in a movie, and that's why reshoots. But... Meanwhile, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how Aquaman 2 got test audiences really confused with uh, the Batman stuff. And yeah, it seems like uh, it seems like Aquaman 2 might be the more interesting of the two for me. I don't really care. I don't, I don't really care about if, you know, the Flash goes through the Speed Force and a whole bunch of... Uh, you know, old TV ver I'm really not looking forward to like a Grand Moff Tarkin, uh, Christopher Reeve coming through a portal and being like, hello, hello, Barry Allen, you know, uh, that's gonna look creepy and I don't know about that. Uh, same thing with Adam West Batman, I really am not interested in I don't want them to bring back the dead. Please stop bringing back the dead. It's not fun. It's not cool. It's depressing to me. Uh, but yeah, um, 
Anyways, Ezra's getting their act together just in time for all this bad press to evaporate over the next nine months, just in time so when the movie comes out, hopefully no one will remember it. That's kind of how this is all set up. That's kind of how it works. Uh, and other unhinged things coming out of Warner Brothers, there appears to be a remake of The Wizard of Oz on the horizon. Yay, maybe? Question mark? Uh, that'll be directed by Kenya Barris. If you don't recognize the name, uh, Barris is the creator of the hit sitcoms Blackish, Mixedish, and Grownish. There's a pattern there. <laughs> um, he also wrote the Shaft reboot a few years ago, uh, the one where Samuel L. Jackson came back as old Shaft, but his son is doing a lot of the action stuff. And then he also wrote Girls Trip. Uh, and he is currently writing a remake of White Men Can't Jump, a movie that I was not allowed to watch as a child. And that's saying something because I was allowed to watch most things as a child, regardless of whether or not I should have. Uh, but <laughs> um, uh, yeah, really strange choice, uh, Kenya Barris. His directorial debut is a Netflix movie of the week coming soon called uh you people you people which he also wrote alongside jonah hill who will star in it and uh it sounds like it might be a romantic comedy about two families marrying together with jonah hill and julia louis dreyfus on the groom side and then uh nia long and eddie murphy on the bride side so i mean that sounds you know it sounds like a pleasant enough diversion i'd probably watch it it's yeah that sounds like a streaming movie uh but hey coming from comedy and sitcom world specifically i find that tapping barris for wizard of oz is a little bit ridiculous uh oz understandably comes with the need for some kind of dazzling visuals or effects that's kind of the point it's uh you know, it's a whiz-bang thing. Oz is almost always used for someone's big blank check movie, to borrow another podcast's terminology. And I'm not sure if Barris is ready to jump directly into something like that. I feel maybe he should do more than one made-for-TV romantic comedy. And sorry, Netflix, I don't care how much money you pump into it, those are made-for-TV movies at this point. So he moves from a made a movie of the week for Netflix to hey the wizard of oz whoof that's a big that's a big jump and i don't and by the way i don't necessarily think that wizard of oz is an untouchable property by any stretch suffice it to say audiences kind of do believe that though i mean audiences have let's call it less than attainable expectations uh for wizard of oz reboots or remakes or uh, reinterpretations due to, you know, the huge cultural landmark that that 1939 movie is. It's uh, one of the more recognizable movies on the face of the earth, and pretty much every single attempt to turn those bomb uh, books, the, the L-bomb book series, into a new blockbuster, or even into a TV event, uh, almost every one of them has gone up in smoke. Apart from one very conspicuous reimagining for broadway right uh and and hey 
that's another obstacle, is that this new Wizard of Oz movie will really be crowding the plate alongside the other Oz projects that are heading for theaters at the exact same time interval. Lest we forget these books that uh, Wizard of Oz is based on, the books are public domain. So anybody can try their luck at this, provided that they don't skew too close to the Julie Garland version. I'm not really sure where they draw the line on that stuff, but somebody has written a paper about it. Uh, New Line, New Line Cinema, has their own fresh take on the Wizard of Oz story that's being developed right now by Nicole Cassell. Uh, She's one of the directors and exec producers of HBO's Watchmen show, and uh, she was kind of regarded as the visual architect for that show as well. She won an Emmy, a DGA award for it, and if you haven't seen the Watchmen show, it's terrific, it's fantastic, it's one of the best shows on television of the last couple of years, in my opinion. It was the highlight of 2019 for me. Uh, and, and it looked stupendous. Visually, just a tremendous show. So, yeah, she seems like a much easier sell to reimagine the settings and the narrative and the character designs of Wizard of Oz for a more modern audience. I feel like Kenya Barris might put a spin on the story by focusing on the diversity of the land of Oz, you know, like how Emerald City and the Munchkin Country and all the other realms kind of coexist on the map together, kind of like a, it could be interesting, but it could be a like more of like a rinky-dink Lord of the Rings scenario. But Cassell, meanwhile, I think she might have an easier time honing in on the main characters and their quests and heroes' journeys and visual motifs and you know, how they relate to each other, the kind of, like, a real cool duality between Dorothy and the witches. I could see her version of this being a lot more successful in at least trying to do something new and different with the story. But, yeah. Speaking of Dorothy and the witches, hey, that's another project on the horizon. Universal is doing a two-movie adaptation of the Broadway smash hit, Wicked. That one is going to be directed by John M. Chu, who I think proved himself pretty up to the task for that, uh, that project with, I mean, look, Wicked is going to be a lavish fantasy musical, and this is the guy who directed Crazy Rich Asians and In the Heights. Both were really, really well received. Uh, In the Heights didn't do great at the box office. What with that global pandemic and, you know, same-day streaming release and whatnot. But also, In the Heights is such a, like, culturally specific Broadway musical. Uh, Whereas Wicked, everybody knows Wicked. It took over the world in 2004. The book was everywhere. The show was everywhere. You know, it, it was, it was a bit, somebody sang it at my graduation, if you can believe that. Uh... Yeah, they, somebody sang Defying Gravity at, at my graduation, which uh, cements exactly when I graduated from high school. But yeah, people in Kansas or Missouri or wherever, they, they will go out to see Wicked, uh, especially starring Ariana Grande. It's, it's going to be a bigger cultural footprint than In the Heights. And I think John M. Chu, probably the right person to tap for it. But yeah... I mean, all of those things are coming right around the same time. We're going to be up to our ears in Yellow Brick Road shit, people. I don't know how that's going to work for Warners or New Line uh, or Universal, but 
If I had to take a big swing as to why this was announced now, David Zaslav, I, this has become the David Zaslav hate podcast. <laughs> Uh, but you know what? He'll be fine. He's crying himself to sleep on a bed of money. Uh, but I think that he's just a big old fan of Wizard of Oz because he probably saw it in its original theatrical run when he was a little boy. Uh, now I'm getting mean, but (laughs) the, the important thing about the entertainment industry is that the opinion of very old rich men who don't watch current movies and television is the most important thing to take into account when greenlighting projects. That's the takeaway here. Uh, holy crap. What, what else do we got to talk about? Um, comic book news, pretty light this week. Uh, did you know, did you know that uh, 2023 will mark the 60th anniversary of Iron Man's debut in comics. I didn't realize that. I don't have a great grasp on the history of Iron Man like most other people. What's really funny to me is that if it weren't for all these expensive uh, Disney movies, Iron Man might have completely faded away into memory long before hitting this milestone. I don't think I knew anything about Iron Man before you know robert downey jr so uh yeah that's cool that the character has a real new lease on life and will go on for a lot longer than he probably would have uh but marvel has a big plan to mark the occasion with uh christopher cantwell's final issue of his very uh thought-provoking run on the title that he's been up to for the last bit uh it's coming to a conclusion in november Uh, That's issue number 25 of his run. And after that one, they are going to reset with an issue number one, Invincible Iron Man, in December. Uh, The first part of a story that will lead into the uh, 2023 anniversary. That's going to be written by uh, uh, Jerry Dugan, who uh, the, the plot is supposed to surround some mysterious foe who put a contract out on Tony Stark. Just as he's at his lowest, he loses, like, his friends, his business, his fortune. He's he's at his very lowest. And then some mysterious new villain, or possibly an old villain, we don't know, puts out a contract on his life. And I always like that plot device. A bunch of, you know, contract killers and mercenaries gunning for our hero at the same time. I think it's why I do defend the uh, video game, uh, uh... Arkham Origins, the Batman game where a bunch of contract killers are out for Batman's blood all at the same time. But uh, yeah, uh, Jerry Dugan probably will make it a little fun, but with high stakes involved. He he did do some writing during the Civil War 2 for uh, the Avengers, so he's good at uh, serialized uh, arcs like this, but he's probably best known for his work on a lot of Deadpool titles as well as some of the newer Guardians of the Galaxy stuff since that came back from the cultural wasteland of the dead thanks to the movies. So yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think it's a great starting place for anybody who's never read any Iron Man comics. This would be a cool place to start, so be sure to check that one out. It comes out December 7th, both digital and print. I'm reading mostly digital comics these days. I nearest comic book store is miles and miles away. I don't have space for anything anymore. Digital. It's it's fine as long as you can find a platform that works properly. Thank you for nothing, Amazon and Comixology. 
but I'll always be sore about that. Speaking of 2023 being an anniversary year, Firefly turns 20 years old. And no, 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 no. We're not into television news yet. They are not bringing back the show. The, uh, but Boom Studios, who has been continuing the story in comic book form since 2018, is going to celebrate their anniversary uh, with a one-shot story. It's called Firefly Keep Flying, number one. And I'd say the biggest news about this is that it features a largely new crew of Serenity. Uh, it takes place years in the future from where we left off with the crew of Serenity and River Tam... Uh, the youngest member of the crew is going to build her own new team for one of those nefarious jobs that they're always pulling. And uh, that works out great because now we don't have to pay for the likenesses of all your favorite characters or the actors that play them, rather. Uh, <laughs> I'm so cynical today. But seriously, most of the original characters have really had their arcs closed at this point. I was a big fan of the Dark Horse comics that continued the Firefly story about 10 years ago, they had a good one called A Leaf on the Wind that was mostly about Zoe getting over the death of Wash and uh, giving birth to his child, and the rest of the crew rallies around her for that. Meanwhile, they also close out some of the, the threads that were still dangling from the show and the movie. So that's cool, you know, it's... Uh, it's cool that they've finally decided to move forward a little bit with the story, too. If you continue the Firefly universe at this point, you really need to expand it beyond that half dozen characters from a 20-year-old TV show. They're great characters. It was a fun TV show, but I really endorse this quick dipping of a toe in the water of let's expand this further. Let's see if this world can go beyond the charms of a Nathan Fillion or an Alan Tudyk. Uh, it's perfect. It's a perfectly good sci-fi Western world that's going unused. Use it. You know, it's uh, leave, leave no part of the Buffalo unused. I say uh, there. Um, and, and it's been long enough at this point. You could probably make the comics their own thing further away from the show. I really loved the show when, when you know, during that period where everybody was just kind of pining for it to come back, but its magic has certainly waned in recent years, uh, thanks in large part to Joss Whedon being revealed to be kind of a scumbag. So I think this is the time to distance it from him. He probably still gets paid because he's the creator, but at, at very least, you know, pull it away from his style of writing, his style of character dynamics and stuff and make it its own thing if it continues in any way shape or form move forward not backward with it anyway uh uh getting into tv news a uh, quick note here kyle was wrong apparently sandman on netflix is actually really good and and hey 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 if you do think so it also has two surprise bonus episodes that dropped this last week. They're based on standalone stories from the comics that don't necessarily fit into the ongoing plot, but they made them, and I think they decided to drop them from the episode order. I think it was a case of Netflix producing these episodes to, you know, appease Neil Gaiman and the showrunners, and then Netflix might have come back and said, how about we just clip those two out from the episode slate? They don't affect the plot. 
our studi our, our studies show that people don't like it when our shows vamp for a couple of episodes before the plot progresses. And I've seen that all over the internet. People going, oh yeah, that's the thing you got to remember about Netflix is that they'll make a show that's eight episodes long into a show that's 12 episodes long for no reason at all. People said that a lot about those uh, Defenders shows, the Marvel Defenders shows. So I think that might have been the the thinking behind these two episodes not appearing to begin with. And then the show turns out to be a huge hit. So they say, eh, why not drop them, you know? Uh, cool, you know, cool. I still need to watch the whole show. It's a hard show for, to watch with kids in the house, so uh, I'll get to it. But I'm hearing good things, so yay. Uh, anyways, uh, TV news. Uh, anyway... Apparently, uh, Walmart has landed on a streaming partner. Uh, Walmart launched their version of basically what Amazon Prime is, which is called Walmart Plus, Natch, and they've been having trouble competing. They have far fewer subscribers, and that makes sense because Amazon Prime has been around for like a decade, and there's a tons of little tons of little perks and pieces of what you pay for, like Prime Video. Uh, Prime Gaming, Amazon Prime Music, the Prime Reading on the Kindle app where you can borrow books like a library, uh, a lot of free shipping stuff, priority shipping stuff, grocery delivery in certain markets, not mine, uh, a, lot, a lot of discounts and whatnot, things of that sort that make up an Amazon Prime subscription makes it worth your money. Walmart Plus is, of course, a lot more shopping-centric than entertainment-centric. Uh, there's free shipping, early access to sales and deals like Black Friday bonanzas, free grocery delivery, and a big one is discounted gasoline, which has been a big, big part of it this summer. And I believe they offer six months of Spotify for free when you sign up, but they don't have a streaming video service like Amazon Prime has to offer. And that's weird. Because uh, Vudu, the di you, you all know Vudu, the digital movie store that ate a couple of the bigger redeem your digital copy apps and websites back in the days of Blu-ray, you know, moving over to digital. Uh, Vudu is owned by Walmart. So they do have an app with a, you know, with a tech stack for video, and they do have a free ad-supported streaming library attached to it. You can go on Vudu right now and stream a whole bunch of stuff with ads for free. So they already have something. Uh, you would think Walmart would be smarter than this and simply branch Vudu off into a subscription streaming service. Really, it wouldn't take much in the way of restructuring. Uh, all you would need to do is give Walmart Plus members a free movie rental credit on Vudu every week and remove the ads on the stuff that's available for free, I think. They got the free library, you take the ads out of that for uh, Walmart Plus subscribers, and then, hey, if you're subscribed, you just automatically get a, a credit to rent a movie on Vudu. You know, once a week or once a month, whatever. But that would be a really easy way to start it. And then you would need... This is the problem, though, right? they would need to start producing original content for it immediately. And I get it. That's not a good idea. <laughs> it's I really am not asking Walmart to start producing television. That would be a calamity. 
But anyway, so I guess somebody over there decided the same thing, and they decided to bundle an existing service with Walmart Plus. And what better one than the other big plus, uh, Paramount Plus, where Star Trek, Nickelodeon, the extended Yellowstone universe, but not Yellowstone itself, which is so damn funny to me, and all recent Paramount movie releases are all housed. That's uh, that's the place for all of them. That includes, coming up, Top Gun Maverick uh, later this next month. So yeah, if you happen to live in a section of the world where the only available store is a Walmart, it might be worth getting in on Walmart Plus for like 98 bucks a year, it says. Uh, especially if you happen to dig Paramount Plus, because you get that for free with it. I... I do dig Paramount Plus. It's probably one of the apps that I've been using the most over the last few months. I've been watching a lot of Star Trek for that, you know, and ironically, Amazon Prime is the app I've probably been using the least, but I'll never get rid of it because it comes packaged with all that other stuff, namely the free shipping. You know, we got Amazon Prime in my household 10 years ago just for the free shipping, and all these other things that have been attached to it are just gravy, right? Uh, the streaming is, uh, yeah, it's just the icing on the cake, especially when they have good shows like The Boys, uh, A League of Their Own, I reviewed this last week, I thought that was very good, and Amazon's also the most likely uh, video streaming service to find some horrible VHS rip of a forgotten horror movie I once rented from my local video store, so it's got that going for it too. Anyway, um... Hey, speaking of streaming apps that have to be bundled together with other services in order to get your attention, Peacock! <laughs> there, uh, that, that's the app I'm using the least, probably, is Peacock. Uh, but they have something new for us on the way. If you haven't heard about this show, it's called Poker Face, and it's created by Ryan Johnson. Yeah, that Ryan Johnson, The Last Jedi Ryan Johnson. Peacock gave it a 10-episode order back in March of last year, and the series' lead is none other than Natasha Lyonne of Russian Doll and Orange is the New Black, among other things. Uh, I love her. I love her so much. Don't tell my wife. Don't tell my wife, but I love Natasha Lyonne a lot. I recently rewatched American Pie, uh, because We Hate Movies was doing an episode on it, and... I hadn't watched it in a long time, probably since I was a teenager, and I cannot understand why all of these horny teenage boys were simply... Why wouldn't they just abandon their weird virginity tontine that they had going and just play quarters with Natasha Leone in the corner at all those wild keggers? Much better party that way. But anyways, it's apparently uh, uh, Poker Face is uh, some kind of procedural show where... She's going to be solving murders. Sounds like fun. And the cast is stacked, my friends. The cast is absolutely packed to the gills with people we love. Ron Perlman, Nick Nolte, Nick Nolte, uh, Tim Blake Nelson, uh, Adrian Brody, Benjamin Bratt, the, 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 the great-looking Benjamin Bratt, uh, Ellen Barkin, who I'm a big fan of, Jamila Jamil, who uh, just showed up on uh, She-Hulk, uh, Simon Helberg, Tim Meadows, and here's a real shocker for you, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, in a Ryan Johnson joint, no way. Uh, <laughs> that's just to name a few of the people showing up in Poker Face. It sounds awesome. I don't, I don't know the premise, really. 
but I do know that there's been a joke rattling around Twitter for years now saying, hey, what if you just rebooted Columbo, but it's just Natasha Lyonne as Lieutenant Columbo? And, uh, hey everybody, NBC Universal owns the rights to Columbo, at least until that whole court case with the estate of the show's creators a few years ago. I don't really know how that shook out, if that changed the ownership at all. But NBC Universal is, of course, where Peacock shows are made. So is the creator of Brick making a secret Columbo reboot with the internet's favorite choice for the new detective? Probably not. Probably not. But I would bet that this is something very Columbo-esque at the very least. And that sounds great. Uh, I'm excited for that. I think it'll be fun. Uh, and I think we're done with TV news. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Just one more thing. Can it just, just, uh, let me ask you one more question. Uh, <laughs> lastly, for TV Roundup, a friend of the show, Jeremy F., who is at Professor Cubert on Twitter, clued me in that One Punch Man is finally, finally, returning for season three. Uh, season two dropped three years ago in 2019, which, wow, time makes no sense anymore. It's ridiculous. So it's been a long time since we've seen Saitama, at least uh, in the anime. There was a video game that landed in the spring of 2020, which was One Punch Man, A Hero Nobody Knows, which had mixed reviews, I saw. I, I guess what uh, wasn't universally loved, but... The show is back, and the announcement came with a teaser image featuring Saitama and Garo, but no details as to what they'll be doing in upcoming episodes. The new season's being produced alongside a live-action movie adaptation, which will be written by the uh, duo Scott Rosenberg and Jeff Pinker, who, if you recognize those names, they wrote Venom, the Venom movie. And that'll also be uh, directed by Justin Lin, who recently exited Fast and the Furious 10 in order... So this is the project he chose over that. He he moved over to this one. It's funny, because he went from one bald, punchy guy to another one. <laughs> uh, anyway, looking forward to that. Some animated shows have uh, really gotten a lot more leeway in terms of turnaround time, I feel. I You know, Rick and Morty goes like two, three years in between seasons anymore. Uh, anime has extra hurdles in that regard, I do realize. I've heard all about how certain shows have to twiddle their thumbs for a bit, waiting for the manga to be written and printed and catch up so that they can move on with the story. So, yeah, that's good to hear. Uh, it's good to hear that One Punch Man is back. That's a fun one that even a non-anime weirdo like me, I'm not really, you know, schooled in the ways of anime, but... That one, I've seen a bit of it, and it's fun, so that's good news. I like good news. Did you like some of the good news that we shared uh, this week? Because that's all of it. That's all I got on my plate. Uh, but if you do have any news uh, like Jeremy did for us, go ahead and send it to me. Send it to me at Kyle Martinak or at media underscore sandwich. That one, if you happen to follow us, uh, you'll see everything that comes out on the website, including this podcast, uh, movie reviews, TV reviews, comic book picks of the week, uh, some videos that I keep promising are coming, but I've been having technical problems, uh, <laughs> and a bunch of other things that I plan to have out for you for your viewing, listening, and reading pleasure. 
And you can find all of that stuff on that Twitter handle or over on Facebook at facebook.com slash media sandwich show. Or, of course, you can uh, just pick up everything directly where it's dropped off at www.media-sandwich.com. And while you're at it, uh, you can also uh, subscribe to the show in your podcatcher on Apple Podcasts or uh, Google Podcasts or Podcast Revolution or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And you can write us a review so that more people see the show and share in these lovely, lovely headlines with us. And until I hear from you, you'll be hearing from me again next week. Because that's Media Sandwich. That's what it is. That's who I am. I'm Kyle Martinak. And I'm going to go get a sandwich.